It's a pleasure to be here today with all of you and share my testimony um, that's still being written in reality. Uh, actually, a year ago this month in November, um, for the first time I was walking through the hallways at work and I collapsed. And I don't remember very much, but I remember waking up in the ambulance and the paramedic looked at me and she said, we were sure you would be in a coma if you woke up at all. And I remember thinking, this is like, I, I'm so confused. I, I, I was just walking at work, and all of a sudden my memory after that was erased. After that, I started to struggle a lot. Um, it became multiple times a week to almost every day, um, and I would struggle with uh, fainting spells and seizures and I would be throwing up all night and I'd be throwing up blood and I would be laying in my own in my own blood and you know and constantly I was rushed to the ER over and over and over and over again um, it became so often that they I would come in there and they would be like Christina you're back again I'm like it's really not a good thing when the ER nurses know you by first name <laughs> and I and it became so often and I started to see so many doctors and specialists all over Tulsa looking for answers, looking to what, what ex exactly is going on. And all of my doctors, all of everybody that I saw, they said, you know what? We see that things are happening. We see that you're sick, but we don't know the core of what's really going on. We can't find where this is coming from. And, and they would diagnose me with, it started out with little things, anemia, hypoglycemia, uh, all those little things, and then it became thyroid and neocardiogenic syncope and, and all these other things, they just started to pile up on top of each other. And I would see all these doctors, but yet get no answers. And it came to a point, and they, they gave me every supplement almost in the book. I was taking about 55 plus supplements and I was taking medi medicine and I was taking everything trying to help me be on my feet, but it wasn't taking away all the symptoms. And they said, this is what's going to keep you on your feet, but we still don't know the core of what's going on. So they referred me to Mayo Hospital and I went and I visited Mayo Hospital for, for four months. I would keep going and, and um, get tested, and I would be tested, and constantly there's procedure after test after procedure after test. And throughout this time, my doctors all just told me, like, Christina, you're a miracle because your test results are showing such negative answers, but we don't know what to tell you in return. And they kept telling me that. And, and the most beautiful thing that they ever said to me was, Christina, it is your spirit that has been keeping you going this whole time. And in the Wisdom of Solomon, it actually says, it's 16.2, it says, medicine isn't what healed them, only your word heals. And there's so much truth in that. There's so much truth in that. And throughout that whole time, everybody asked me, Christina, how are you not angry with God? All you did was serve him. Why did he do this to him? Or why did they do this to you? And so many, I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Russian culture, but so quickly they are to judge and swoop in and say, 
you know, this, this is because you disobeyed. This is God's punishment on you or your family. And, and they were so quick to say, hey, you know what, Christina, no one's ever going to love you. No one's ever going to marry you because you're a sick person. And they were so quick to say those things. And, and, and that's the community. That was my church. Those are church friends. And, and so quick were they to make such quick judgments and assumptions and at that point, you're getting attacked not only physically, but spiritually, emotionally, mentally. And the devil's telling you, you know what, Christine, you're never going to be healed. This is, this is your new lifestyle. And that's what the doctors at Mayo Hospital said to me. They're like, this is your new lifestyle. And I, and I rebuked it. I said, no, that's not my new lifestyle. Because my God is greater. He is greater. And I knew that I would be healed. And I knew it, and I had no doubt in my mind. And I was not angry at God, not one bit. Because somehow, some way, he, yes, this is a devil attacking me, but God allowed it because he knew that somehow I was strong enough to go through it. And I feel worthy and honored that he counted me worthy. I am blessed to be able to suffer for him, for suffer for Christ. And there's a couple of scriptures here. It says in 1 Peter 4.13, it says, But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. And 1 Peter 5.10, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And I knew that this would be for his glory. I knew that the whole time that I would be at the hospital, no matter what doctors told me when they said, Christina, your immune system is attacking your organs. Your immune system, your body is attacking yourself. This is not something that you can reverse. But I had one doctor here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that would not give up. And he was a Christian man, and he said, no, this is something that we can reverse. I have faith. He said, your spirit is holding you. Because the moment you give in to the devil, the moment you give in to sickness, that is when the devil has hold on you. That is when it has hold on your life. Whether it's sin, whether it's sickness, whether it's a, a temptation, it will have hold on your life if you give in to it. But you must rebuke it from your life, whatever it may be. And so throughout this whole time, I was not angry or upset. And my doctors asked me, they said, how are you not depressed? Clinically, by your levels, you should be depressed, whether you like it or not. Even by your test results, you should be depressed. You're, you're having trouble walking. I was, I, I, it came so often that my, my family, my brother, he's a very strong man of God. There was sometimes that I couldn't even ask for help, but the Holy Spirit would wake him up in the middle of the night telling him that I was struggling. He would run to my room, and he would come in there, and he'd be like, I felt in my spirit that you're about to be sick. Even before I knew it myself, and it was constantly, they had to be home with me. I couldn't drive. I couldn't do anything. They were with me all the time. And I'm so blessed to have a family like that. 
that was with me when I couldn't be with myself. But I will tell you guys something the most beautiful throughout all of this. Even though when I left Mayo Hospital three months ago, it's only three months ago, I was about 20 pounds lighter. I definitely did not look like myself. Every time I came to church, people were like, you look like you're about to pass out. I'm like, thank you. That's exactly what you want to hear. You know, first time you get to come to church. And uh, and the, for the last thing they told me, they said, Christina, this is cancer to your body, but we just can't seem to find the cancer. So they left me saying that there's nothing that they can do. But again, our God is greater. And there was a doctor that would not give up on me. There was multiple doctors that I was referred to. And then I was referred to this woman, Heather, two months ago. And she told me, Christina, I have found something in you that is miraculous. She said, you have a bacteria in your body, a foreign bacteria in your body, that a lot of people die after having for a few weeks. And with your immune system, with your health right now, you should not made it. She said, you are a miracle. And that is so wonderful and beautiful to hear that God, again, counted me worthy enough to be able to go through this from him. And I feel so blessed. And my story is still being written, and there are still days that I do have hard days, and that I, it's hard for me to get out of bed, and there are days that I'm sick. And there are days that I fall and have seizures and I will throw up all night. There are still those moments, but I know that I am healed. I know and I believe it. Because before I even got sick, a year ago this month, I had a dream. In my dream, two angels came to me and they said, Christina, because of your relationship with Christ, the devil is going to try to destroy you. He will try to distract, destroy you, and he will be there, and he will be tugging at you with your health. But by your faith, by God, you will be healed. That next day, I decided to pray and fast, and that was the very first day that I collapsed. So though every doctor told me that this is something that I will have to struggle with, I know I will not struggle with it. I know that God has healed me. He has told me, and I will stand on his word. And I will stand on his word. And 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Amen to that. And my story is still being written. And praise God that I'm here today with you guys and I got to share my testimony. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Russell. It's an honor again to be here tonight. And uh, thank you, everybody, for coming out. Third night in a row. Um, it's, uh, it's good to see Pastor Gail and Pastor Lewis is going to come in from Sand Springs. They pastor a church in Sand Springs. Pastor Lewis is also the uh, a chaplain for the for the, what's the pulp? Creek County, Creek County uh, criminal justice system. So let's welcome Pastor Gail here. It's good to see you. Thank you. Uh, oh, Tulsa area has so many dear friends to, to my heart. Um, it was a season in my life when uh, I was doing a lot of dreaming uh, in, in a sense where, you know, I was 
touching base with my friends in Seattle and just realizing what's going on. And, and it was a season where, I'm sorry if I'll use this example, but you know, when a woman is pregnant, it's a season of walking around pregnant. And sometimes when, you, when you're pregnant, there's just, you know, you'll go through some things, some symptoms. I know what I'm talking about. My wife's been pregnant three times. And when I was here, you know, certainly it was, uh, I had an opportunity to do many things, but it was a season when, when I was pregnant in the sense of what's the need in Seattle. And, and I want to thank each and every one of you who, who've been, who were a blessing to me in that season. Um, because as we moved back to Seattle, and it wasn't anything to do with, with us and what we did. It was just, it was a huge need. And, and we're like, okay, Lord, we heard you. We'll stand in there. And, and as we stepped in, you know, God just did some amazing things. And we hope you, some of you get to visit us in Seattle and, and see uh, what the Lord has done. It was just, it was awesome to see Pastor Harold and Cindy with us. And um, when, when he was there, we only had what, one of our campuses. And we were just getting our second campus started. Uh, I remember with Pastor Harold, he's, He's with me, and I'm like, Pastor, I need to find more facilities. And you know, we've gone through 13 facilities, and as you know, that's that's tough because you know people are coming and they're like, Well, we thought we met there, and I'm like, No, that was three facilities ago. <laughs> you know, and it's been it's been a ride, but God is God has been good and gracious, and uh, continue to pray for us uh, and and for what God is doing. We're in a season of reaching Slavic, Russian, Ukrainian immigrants or families. Uh, you know, Ukrainian, Russian families where the kids and teens, they speak only English. And so our kids ministry and youth ministry is all English. And then our Sunday service, it's, it's 50-50. And so when I speak, I speak in English translated to Russian on the stage. When Pastor Vasily, a, a pastor, we had moved from Russia. So we, we moved to Seattle. We started a service and we had a pastor from Russia move as well to join us. When he speaks, he speaks in Russian translated to English. And, and so our next step, though, is... Well, how do we how do we you know reach our community abroad? English speaking, uh, and, and you know, and sometimes we were sometimes we we're like, all right, we're just ready to to forget the Russians and let's just ju- jump in and reach everybody who speak you know the whole community. And and at, at those times, it was good that some people came along to like, I mean, your day will come. Look look, you're not doing much, and look at all these Russians coming, you know. And so we realize it's a season that we're reaching. There's about 100,000 Russian-speaking uh, immigrants in our area. And um, God's been good and, and uh, continue to pray for us. There's a message on my heart today. One of the most often asked questions in ministry, okay, probably the number one asked question in ministry when you're counseling people is this, how do I change? How do I change? How do I quit this habit? How, you know, how do I become different? I can't. How do, how do I become more like Christ? Help me. How do I change? I can't quit doing this or I can't quit doing that. And how do I change? The answer to that is, is, is a three-part answer. But in 1 Timothy 4.7, it says this. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Okay. You want godliness? Is that your purpose? You want to change? You want to become more like, more like Christ? Scripture says, discipline yourself. There are three ways that God will change us. Okay. 
And the Bible says that God is work at work in us. Remember, there's a scripture that says that God, Christ, who has started a work in you, what will He do? He will finish it. So Christ is at work in our lives, and He uses three primary ways to change us. Okay, the first primary way is people. He will send good people. He will send bad people. He will send nice people. He will send mean people. He will send nice sheep. And he will send goats who will be around us to bite us, to get us to change. So next time when there's a goat around you biting you, instead of trying to rebuke the goat, say, Lord, I'm just going let to let him continue to bite me if that's going to work on me to change me, to make me more like Christ. The second way that God changes us is through circumstances. Okay, And I want to give you a scripture reference for that. It's Romans 8.28. All things God works for the good of those who love Him. Sometimes we want to stop and, and blame everything on Satan. You know, there's a, there's a story one time Satan came up before God and he's like, God, I'm tired of all these Christians blaming everything on me. Yeah. Sometimes we want to blame everything on Satan, and certainly Satan is after us, and he, and, and he, has, he has a threefold purpose, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's his purpose. But very often we want to write off all circumstances on Satan, when really God will use all things for the good of those that love him. And so God will use people, and God will use circumstances to work in our lives. God will allow circumstances to bring a change in our hearts, in our attitudes, in our beliefs. Okay? And so instead of focusing on, on blaming Satan and blaming so-and-so and blaming family members for these circumstances in our lives, just find rest in Romans 8.28 that God will use all things for the good of those that believe Him and say, Lord, what are you trying to tell me? I'll listen. What area in my life do you want me to, to work on? I'm really to listen. The third primary way that God will change us is through spiritual disciplines. Okay. So notice the first two, people and circumstances, you know, it's not something that we can control. We don't control who we see all the time or, or who our parents are or who our siblings are. You know, we'd like to pick and choose, but, but hey, that's the family you were born in. So we don't get to choose the people and the circumstances around us. But God will use that to change us, so He'll change us from the outside in. But spiritual disciplines is something that God uses to change us from the inside out. Now, sometimes because Christ has started our work in us, if we don't start doing some spiritual disciplines in us, God is going to have to use people and circumstances to bring forth some change. So either God is going to be using people and circumstances... Or we are going to start doing some spiritual disciplines to start that change process first. I'm going to give you an example from the Bible. Okay, One time Jesus was walking and uh, there was a blind man. Okay, And he was sitting and he's like, hey, what's this noise? And they said, oh, Jesus is walking by. And he began to scream, Jesus, Jesus, have mercy on me. And Jesus is just walking, Jesus, heal me, Jesus, have mercy on me. And, and Jesus just walked by, and, 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 and the, the people around him were like, hey man, Jesus has already passed by. He can be, no, Jesus, have mercy on me. 
And eventually Jesus is like, all right, he turns around and, and he heals this man. And then Jesus keeps on walking and there's a man on the tree. In Russian it's Zakhey. What do you say it in English? Zacchaeus. There's a man in the tree, Zacchaeus. And he, he didn't want no change. He wasn't screaming, Jesus, I'm a... He was just there. And through circumstance, Jesus is like, hey, I'm bringing a change to your house. Get down right here. I'm, we're going into your house right now. So the second example is, is, is a change in Zacchaeus' life through circumstance without an effort. The first example is this man screaming, Jesus, Jesus, heal me. Jesus, have mercy on me. Now, Jesus didn't plan. Now, of course, God plans everything out. But, but Jesus was just walking by. And if this man would have just been silent, Jesus would have just walked walk right by to Zacchaeus. But because of a spiritual discipline of this blind man to just scream out to God, Lord, Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, heal me. Jesus made a change in his life. Okay? So here's, a, here's a, God will work on us and change us either through circumstances like Zacchaeus or through spiritual disciplines like this blind man. I want to share a couple things on spiritual disciplines. There's a Cowboys coach, Tom Laundry. I don't know how long ago that was, and I don't like the Cowboys, but he said this. The job of a football coach... We'll pray for you later. The job of a football coach is to make men do what they don't want to do in order to achieve what they've always wanted to be. Christians are called to make themselves do something they would not naturally do, pursue spiritual disciplines in order to become what they've always wanted to be, more like Christ. Spiritual disciplines is something we pursue so that we become more like Christ. We can, through faith and grace, become like Christ by practicing the type of activities He engaged in, by arranging your whole lives around the activities he himself practiced in order to remain constantly at home in the fellowship of his father. I want to share a couple spiritual disciplines. And to some of you are like, man, you know, this is kind of simple stuff. But it's the simple stuff, you know, that will bring forth a change. You know, you're, you're looking to, to, you know, make a change in your physical appearance. Well, physical exercise. Oh, that, that's just too simple. Well, that's what brings a brings change. You know, some running. It'll bring a change. Wanna, the first spiritual discipline I want to discuss a little bit is, is our Bible intake. Okay. I believe that Bible intake is the most important spiritual discipline that all believers in Jesus Christ must exercise. Now, some of you will stop me here and say, oh, oh, oh Pastor Russell, Pastor, what about prayer? Okay. I do believe prayer is important, but I believe Bible intake is the most important one. Why? Let me explain why. There are Muslims who will pray five times a day, and yet they are far from Christ. There are Buddhists who will commit to their whole life living in a cave and meditating and praying, yet not knowing Christ. Yeah, and, and, and let me finish my sentence. When Bible intake is the most important spiritual discipline for us, Bible intake will lead us to prayer. And it will lead us to prayer in the name of Jesus. Okay? It will lead us to the prayer, that the kind of prayer that works. 
that pleases the Lord. And so certainly it's, it's, it's just because we're focused on Bible intake does not mean that we're not going to be praying. We'll be praying more. The more we intake the Bible, the more it's going to lead us to prayer. But the most important spiritual discipline, I believe, is the intake of Scripture. The most transforming practice available to us is the disciplined intake of Scripture. And sadly, the worst dust storm in history would happen if all church members who are neglecting their Bibles dusted them off simultaneously. <laughs> now, why is Scripture intake the hardest discipline to practice? Because in Hebrews 4.12 it says this, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of the spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the, thought, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Oh, it'll pierce, it'll cut, it'll convict. Now, sometimes when the church world, when we say Bible intake, many people think reading the Bible. And it's like, man, that's not something I, you know, I really enjoy. I don't like reading. Well, I've got good news for you. Okay? There are five ways that we need to intake the Bible. And reading is only one of them. Okay? Five ways we've got to intake the Bible. Five ways. I'll show it to you scripturally. The first way we intake the Bible is by hearing. Okay? Luke eleven twenty eight. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Romans ten seventeen. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. First Timothy four thirteen. Until I come, divide yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. So the first way we've got to intake scripture is by hearing it. Okay? Whether that be in our commitment to a local church, whether that be in um, you know, having someone read the scripture. One of the best ways, and I do this in Seattle when we're in traffic all the time, my number one app is, is the YouVersion U- U- Bible app where you can listen to scripture. Anytime I'm driving somewhere, I've got some time, I turn on scripture and I hear it. So it's a, it's a practice that we've got to practice. It's a discipline that we've got to practice hearing Scripture. Okay? Yes, we read it, but it's important also to have this phase of Bible intake when we hear Scripture. The Bible says so. The second way we intake the Scripture is by reading Scripture. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Uh, in Joshua 1.8, 1, 1, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Romans 15.4 says this, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Jesus, while speaking to crowds, he expected them to read the scriptures. Here are some examples. Matthew 12, 3. Have you not read what David did? Matthew 12, 5. Or have you not read in the law? Matthew 19, 4. Have you not read that he which made them? And on and on. Matthew 21, 16. Have you never read out of the mouth of babes? Matthew 21, 42. Did you never read in scriptures that the stone? And Matthew 22, 31. And as for the res- resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? Jesus, very often speaking, he'd say, did you not read? So, so in a way, he's expecting the crowd to read. It's a spiritual discipline we've got to 
intake. Now, some of you might say, I, yeah, I don't know about the Bible. You can skip out on this, and God will use people and circumstances to change you. Or you can listen to this, and maybe, and maybe you start the process first and be changed through one of these disciplines, which is Bible intake. The third way we intake Scripture, and we need to intake Scripture, is we've got to study Scripture. It is, it is not enough just to listen and read Scripture and we're done. We've got to have times of intake Scripture when we study Scripture. When we get a dictionary, when we get, you know, some, some, uh, uh, commentaries and we just, we, we've got everything, you know, open up in our desk. And, uh, we, we were, after several years of saving up with my wife and paying off college, and we were able to purchase great Bible software called Logos, uh, Bible software. It's, man, phenomenal. It's a great tool, especially if you're in ministry. But it's one of those, like, hundreds of commentaries and all these kind of things is, is pretty unique. But, Here's some examples from the Bibles in Ezra 7.10. For Ezra has set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. In John 5.39 it says this, Search the scriptures, for in them you think to have eternal life. Okay, Search the scriptures. In Acts 17.11, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily. Hey, what does the scripture say about this? Let's, let's see. One of the men that really just amazes me is Apostle Paul. He wrote two-thirds of the books of the New Testament. And, and guess, and he spent a lot of time studying scripture. It's like, Apostle Paul, you write scripture. You mean you got to study scripture? He writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.13. He says this, Timothy, bring me books and scrolls when you come to visit me. What were these books and scrolls? They were scriptures. It's like, Apostle Paul, you're writing scriptures. Yet he says, Timothy, hey, hey. And listen, Apostle Paul, man, he, he saw heaven. All right? He's seen the resurrected Christ. He's done many miracles. He wrote the Holy Scriptures himself. Yet he says, Timothy, bring me the Scriptures. I've got to examine them. I've got to study them. Okay. So we hear Scripture. We read Scripture. We study Scripture. The fourth uh, way we intake Scripture is, is and, and some of you are like, oh man, I can't believe he's saying this. We've got to memorize Scripture. Now, you might say, oh, this is only for Sunday school. It's our, where's our children? Oh, Russell, you got to say this to our kids. No, scripture memorization is great for kids, but it's important for everybody else. Listen, in Matthew 22, 29, but Jesus answered him, you're wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Okay? When we know scriptures and we have them memorized, you know what? The Holy Spirit can use that in our times of need. When we're struggling and we've got some doubts and we've got some fear, guess what the Holy Spirit will do? Oh, He'll remind us of that scripture. But if it's not in us, there ain't nothing to bring up. Okay? When you look at the New Testament preaching, okay, 
I think New Testament preaching is, is sort of a, an important example for us. Don't you think so? I mean, sure, we've got many great preachers, but New Testament preaching is sort of like the gold standard. Well, the New Testament preaching, most of it was primarily quotes of scriptures. Most of it was just quoting the whole Testament. And I don't care what you've got to say against well, memorization of scripture. If, if it worked for the apostles and they've got thousands of people repenting at one day, hey, it's, it's probably necessary for us. Another thing that I've noticed in my life is when I don't have a scripture memorized and I'm speaking to somebody, and it's like, you know, and I want to use it, but if I don't have it memorized, I kind of lose confidence in using it and saying it. But if I know the scripture, I'm like, hey, brother, you're wrong because the scripture says so and so. But if I, I think maybe, well, never mind. You know, so we lose confidence in using scripture if you don't have it memorized. I want to share two examples in my life where scripture memorization has, has been a great blessing. One example is, is for, for a lot of years in my life, I delivered newspapers at night. Uh, starting at age 12, I would get on a bicycle and I'd deliver newspapers. I had a paper route, about 50 newspapers, and, and made, made $100 a month. It was great. But, you know, around 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning, sometimes when you're 12 years old, sometimes it can become really scary. And during those times, I'm telling you, I would quote Psalm 91, oh, Psalm 23, Psalm 91. I don't know what they are in English and Russian because there's a difference in the numbers. Psalm uh, 90, 91, 90. Uh, what's that? It's one... The Russian translation is like one back and one... But you, 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 you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> one forward. When I would be driving, for example, on my bicycle in times of fear, I would just begin to quote Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So very often, whether I'm delivering newspapers or even today, facing some fear, I quote Psalm 23. Now, it's something I learned when I was in Sunday school, and I learned it in Russian back then, so I know it by heart in Russian, and I say it in Russian. But, Господь пастор, я ничего не буду нуждаться. Он покоит меня на знашних пажитях, ходит меня кодом тихий, подкрепляет душу мою, направляет меня на стези прадей ради истин. I just quote that, and I'm telling you, when I do that, this fear just begins to leave me. Um, another example in my life, and I kind of shared this uh, last night, uh, those of you that remember when we had a miscarriage here uh, in Oklahoma, our first pregnancy, we had a miscarriage. And uh, I'm telling you, it was a season when, I mean, fear and doubts began to sink in. Fear that, uh, well, you're never going to have babies because, you know, you got a miscarriage. Or even the bigger fear, well, if you are going to have babies, they're going to be sick. You know, and, 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 you know, it was maybe easier for me, but for my wife, it'd be tough. And so, you know, from the day when we lost a baby until the day when Matthew was born, our firstborn, it was something. And my wife, she, she's a NICU nurse. She works with premature babies. She works with sick babies. That's her whole life. And so on a daily basis, she sees premature babies, babies that need help. And then, you know, she's had a miscarriage. And so... It was tough. But you know what helped us during that season? If you would come and visit us during that time, we had on our fridge several scriptures in our car. 
we had several scriptures written out, just printed out, and we would quote it almost on a daily basis. We had Exodus 23:26, None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. And any time Satan would just attack us with fear and doubt, we would just quote Exodus 23:26. This Lord, this is your promise. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I, I will fulfill the number of your days. Psalm 91, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. These are just some scriptures that during those times, because we had them memorized, we would just quote and, 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 you know, and fear would flee. There's, there's something powerful about memorizing scriptures, knowing scriptures, and speaking them out. Memorization of scripture is not only for kids. It's for each and every one of us. It's very important. You know, give yourself a tool. Give yourself a tool for the Holy Spirit to use. And one of those tools is to have some scripture. Scriptures on you. And then the fifth way we intake scripture is, is meditation on scriptures. Psalm 1-2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Um, another scripture, Psalm 119, 10-11, with my whole heart I seek you, let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I, not might, that I might not sin against you. Now, you might say, well, Russell, what's the difference between studying Scripture and meditating on Scripture? It's kind of the same thing, isn't it? Well, studying Scripture is a time when you've got dictionaries and commentaries and several different translations of the Bible, and you're studying. Scripture, memories, scripture meditation is one of those when you're reading some Scriptures or you're hearing some Scriptures, and you take one of those verses, and you just say, hey, this is the verse I'm going to meditate on for the rest of the day. For example, in John 11:25, it says this, I am the resurrection and the life. One of the ways you would meditate on that is, for example, you would take each and every one of those words and you would, uh, you know, highlight that word or emphasize that word. For example, I am the resurrection and the life. So you're thinking, I, Jesus. It ain't no, it ain't no person, it ain't no uncle, or, or it's Jesus who's the resurrection and the life. No? Or, I am the resurrection and the life. And like, he is. He's maybe, it's not maybe. Well, if I, if I think about it, he is the resurrection and the life. Or, and then you go, I am the resurrection. You know, he's the resurrection. And, and you meditate on the resurrection. And then you think about, I am the resurrection and the life. And, and then you think, about, I am the resurrection and the life. And so you kind of hit every word separately and you just, Man, it kind of highlights a different aspect of that scripture. And if you're doing that for the whole day, that one scripture, I'm telling you, you it's, it feeds your spirit. It's powerful. And can you imagine that if we just kind of each and every one discipline ourselves on a daily basis to take one scripture and just to think about that. Just write it down somewhere and, and from throughout the day we just kind of think in a different aspect of a certain scripture. That's a spiritual discipline that's going to work on us and work on our character and Bring forth some change. Next time you're doing your daily Bible reading, choose one verse and read it and meditate on the scripture the rest of the day. 
I'm going to conclude with this in terms of Bible intake. If your growth in godliness were measured by the quality of your Bible intake, what would be your results? The truth is your growth in godliness is greatly affected by the quality of your Bible intake. Uh, Dale Moody said this, A man can no more take in the supply of grace for the future than he can eat enough for the next six months or take sufficient air into his lungs at one time to sustain life for a week. We must draw upon God's boundless store of grace from day to day as we need it. Do you know that it takes, and, and this is so sad when I ask people, how many times have you read the Bible? Do you read the Bible in the year? You know how long it takes to read the Bible from cover to cover? Or to listen to the Bible from start to end? About 72 hours. Most of us watch that much television in two or three weeks. Yet we who are believers in the scriptures and the word of God cannot read the Bible in a year. And, and sadly, most Christians will, you know, I, 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 have you read the Bible all the way through from cover to cover? No, I, no, no, you, no, that's so much. I'm not sure. I don't think so. Really? You cannot find 72 hours in a year just to do some listening? Just to, every year, from cover to cover. This just should not be an excuse why you should not from cover to cover in a year. When all you need is 72 hours. If you take all the time and watching television and, 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 and uh, football and, and listening to music, man, most teens will, will hit that in three, four days. Five days, maybe. That's sad. That's sad. I pray that we change our spiritual in, discipline of, of Scripture intake and we really take it serious. It's the word of God. This is the most, the truest prophecy. <laughs> this is our foundation. Second spiritual discipline that I want to just kind of mention a little bit is the discipline of prayer. Jesus, who was God, who is God, spent lots of his time during ministry season in prayer. It seems like, God, you know, here you are, until the age 30, you're not doing anything, and then all of a sudden, okay, your ministry starts, and, and you're only in ministry for three years. And, and so Jesus, I mean, you're healing sick, you're healing cancer, you're healing crippled, you're casting out demons, you're doing all these things, and you're preaching to thousands. Jesus, you can do so much more. Yet Jesus, in his busy season of ministry, he spends a lot of time in prayer. Now, when, if Jesus who's God, had to spend time in prayer, how much more do we? Jesus expects us to pray. I'm going to read some scriptures. Matthew 6, 5. When you pray, another scripture, Matthew 6, 6. But when you pray, and then and when you pray, Matthew 6, 9. This then is how you pray. Luke 18, 1. Jesus told his disciples they should always pray. Colossians 4.2, devout yourself to prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray continually. Martin Luther said once, as it is the business of tailors to make clothes and the cobblers to mend shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. 
I'm just going to ask one question for, for those of you that are adults. And depending on your answer will tell me or tell you whether or not you pray enough. My question is, if I were to ask your children today, where's your mom's prayer closet? Would your children have an answer? Or where's your dad's prayer closet? Would they, would they have an answer? If the answer would be like, well, well, well yeah, um, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll pray before the food. Uh, I'm afraid you're not praying enough. Now, I, I'm, <laughs> I could be sitting here and listening to the same message. The Lord and the Holy Spirit is convicting me too and speaking to me too. I need to pray more. And, and there is no way I can boast of my prayer time because I need it more. One of my greatest memories in my life, and I, I, I pray this happens more often, is uh, I, I do like to pray in the closet. Literally in our closed closet. Because, you know, kids, house, it's a, we, have, we, have, we have three kids all under four. You know what I mean? It's a, there's, a, there's a lot of noise in my house. And so I pray in the closet. Because, you know, you walk through the bathroom, you close the door, and then you walk in the closet, you close the door. And, and so that's where I pray. I remember one time I just got in the closet and I was just praying. And, you know, I'll do different things. And I just knelt, you know, on my knees and on my face. And I was just praying like this. And just, I don't know, for, for some time. And, and at one point I looked to the side and I see Matthew, my son, in the same position like this. I'm telling you, man, that, that broke my heart. I don't care how much I tell him to pray, but when he's going to see more of that in me, oh, he's going to be a man of prayer. That's one of my greatest memories that, you know, and I don't know what he's, he'll say. You know, I mean, he was probably three years old. But to see him just on his face, just like that, we all need to pray more. And our children need to see us pray. Our children will be children of prayer if they see that displayed at home. And if Jesus prayed, then we need to spend some time in prayer. We all need it. Listen, we, we've got to have times in our day. And, and it has to be intentional. It can't be just, well, okay, I'll, it has to be intentional. A time in our day when we just, we, we, and you know what? Our body will scream against it. There will be a hundred excuses not to pray. Start with 30 seconds. Start with 30 seconds, if that's all it takes. I, I mean, instead of checking your Facebook one more time or, or, you know, checking out another, you know, the news or some show, 30 seconds, start with that. <coughs> if it was kind of non-existent, just kind of passing by, start with 30 seconds. But have times when you pray. The third spiritual discipline I'd like to mention is a spiritual discipline of worship. Now, some of you might say, well, you know, worship is, is uh, you know, kind of the same as prayer. And, and when, I, when I speak about prayer, I want to mention one more, one more thing. So we've, we have to have, in scriptures, we notice several different kinds of prayers. We notice the kind of prayer that Jesus and his, you know, taught that you go into a prayer closet and pray. There's family prayer. So there needs to be times when you as a family, you pray together. That's something we do as a family every single night. Now, my wife, she's the... 
You know, if you know my wife, it's because of her. She's the godly woman in the family. Every night we'll pray, and and you know, and we don't make it like, oh, all right, oh Jesus, blood. We we kind of want to make it interesting. So I'll, you know, I follow the news, and so if something's going on in the Philippines right now. Hey Matthew, listen, buddy. There's in the Philippines. There's a lot of people that died because there was a huge storm. Let's pray that God's gonna protect those, and let's pray that God's gonna bless the firefighters. You know, as they try to reach those people, and we, you know, we get him excited about praying. And every night we have, even if no matter how tired we are, even if it takes 15 seconds, we'll come together as a family and we're praying. And so there's personal prayer, there's family prayer, there used to be times of church prayer. We see that in the New Testament. Remember when when uh, Peter was in prison? Guess what the church was doing? Praying. They were praying as a church. So there needs to be time of congregational prayer. It's scriptural. It's in the scriptures. Okay. Same thing with worship. Okay. There are times of public worship, and then there's times of private worship. No matter how fulfilling or sufficient your regular public worship celebration seems, there are experiences with God that give that He gives only in private worship. Now I don't care how you sing and you know whether it's good or bad or there needs to be times when you just you sing hymns, you sing worship songs to Christ. Whether it's in the car, wherever it is, there needs to be times when we just sing praises to Christ. The fourth spiritual discipline, and time is running, but I just want to share as much as I can. Fourth spiritual discipline that I believe we all need to practice is, is a spiritual discipline of evangelism. It's a spiritual discipline that we all need to practice. The hardest or the worst or the reason why most Christians will not evangelize is because they believe the, the thought that success in evangelism is when somebody accepts Jesus Christ and repents. The problem with that is, that's the work of the Holy Spirit to convict somebody and to lead somebody to repentance. That's not something we do. Our part is, we share about Christ. We share our testimony, and we leave it to the Holy Spirit to do the rest. And so success in evangelism is not somebody coming to the altar and repenting, because that, that's not your success. That's success of the Holy Spirit. If something like that has happened, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. You can't take credit for that. Okay? The Holy Spirit convicts us and leads us to repentance. But our part and, and success for us in evangelism is simply sharing the gospel. It's simply presenting it. And when we present it, the Holy Spirit takes it and then He will work with it. Okay? So evangelism is something we all need to be involved in. Uh, I, I remember when I went on my first mission trip, and, you know, I just, there was, you know, we had older preachers preaching, and, you know, we were on the, on the city market, and, and people preaching, and I was like, you know, 15, 16 years old, and thinking, well, I can't do anything here, so I would just go to the sides and just kind of invite people to church and invite them there and just kind of try to share a little bit, and, 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 you know, and, and that one or two people who came to the Lord because of that, that's like, that's memories I cherish the most. Um, only being lost in worship is as exhilarating and ex- intoxicating as telling someone about Jesus Christ. Okay, So 
evangelizing is not, it's a discipline that we have to discipline ourselves to do on a daily basis, wherever we go, wherever we meet. The next spiritual discipline that I want to just mention is a spiritual discipline of service, of serving in different areas. Very often, people assume serving is teaching, preaching, or singing a solo in church. When most of the time, um, serving is, you know, maybe helping out in the kitchen, vacuuming the floors, locking the doors. Yeah, there's different ways to serve. Most service, even when it seems glamorous, is like an iceberg. Only the eye of God ever sees the larger hidden part of it. And it's a spiritual discipline that we must participate in. Two of the deadliest sins, laziness and pride, they oppose serving. They paint giant glazes on our eyes and put chains on our hands and feet so that we don't serve. Now, when we serve, we can do it, you know, as a, as a way to help, as a way to evangelize, evangelize out of love. But another reason why we serve is to train ourselves from arrogance, possessiveness, envy, resentment, covetousness. So yes, we serve to help, but we also serve to work on our pride a little bit. To work on, on, on some of our heart issues. When nobody sees what we're doing. When nobody will find out that we did that. Oh, it works on us. Especially when nobody will find out. See, hidden service, the flesh whines against service, but screams against hidden service. It strains and pulls us for honor, recognition. It will devise subtle, religiously acceptable means to call attention to the service rendered. Oh, we'll have a congregational gathering. Oh, and nobody was doing this and I did it. Our flesh will try to come up with certain ways to just bring attention when, you know, hey, do it. Do it for you. Do it to work on your pride. One of the greatest ministries in a church, I believe, and with our church and our size, this has been testified over and over again, is, is nursery. One of the greatest ministries. Not too long ago, we met with a young Ukrainian girl in Seattle. It's three children, every one of those children from a different father. And, uh, and she doesn't have a, you know, she's not living with any one of them. And uh, really, you know, her, she grew up in a very traditional Slavic church. And, and because of her decisions, she was rejected, excommunicated, you know, from the church. And, uh, and, and just, there's no way she could go back. Well, we knew of her, found out of her, we met with her. So we began to invite her. You know, me and Tanya trying to minister to her. And, she, and, and we came to a point where she's like, you know what? I come, but I have three kids. And they're all very young. Guess what I said? Listen, we've got people in our church who serve in the nursery, who, who, do, it, <laughs> who do it gladly. And you can come to church and listen and hear the word and knowing that your kids are safe. Because we've had people who've grown and matured spiritually enough 
to, to take that great position of serving in the nursery. Some churches lack people who've grown spiritually enough to serve in the nursery. We were blessed in the church we've got some. We've got some volunteers mature, maturely enough to serve there. Guess what? She showed up. And guess what? She continues to show up. And God is working on her life and working on her heart. It's becoming a great testimony in our community. Why? Because there's been people who said, hey, I will change diapers for the glory of God. I can't sing a solo. I can't play no instrument. I'm not a preacher. But boy, I can, I can rock a baby in a rocking chair. And that's a gift. And that's maturity. And that's maturity. You know, and we've got to serve the Lord with gladness. Psalm 100, verse 2. In the courts of ancient kings, servants were often executed for nothing more than looking sad in the service of the king. Are you serving with gladness? The king of kings? Or is that a burden that you have to carry? You know what's wanted in the church? Gifted volunteers for difficult service in the local expression of the kingdom of God. Motivation to serve should be obedience to God, gratitude, gladness, forgiveness, humility, and love. Service will rarely be glorious. Temptation to quit place of service will sometimes be strong. Volunteers must be faithful in spite of long hours, little or no visible results, and possibly no recognition except from God in eternity. But isn't that where we want the recognition? Isn't that where it really matters? That's where it really matters. And that's where, you know, where it needs to be written out is up there. Even if it's never written down here. Another spiritual discipline is, is stewardship. Stewardship over time. Stewardship of our, of our finances. The clock and the dollar are such substantial factors in so many parts of our life that their role must be considered in any serious discussion of godly living. You know, show me your schedule and show me your receipts, and I'll tell you who you are. You know, they used to say, well, show me your friends and I'll tell you who you are. Today, show me your schedule, show me your iPhone, let me see that schedule, and show me some of your receipts, and I'll tell you where your heart is. The clock and the money is such substantial parts of our lives. We have to consider them if we're serious about the Lord. Another spiritual discipline is, is silence and solitude. In Zephaniah 1.7 it says this, Be silent before the so sovereign Lord. Habakkuk 2.20 Let all the earth be silent before Him. There's always a place for worthless, wordless worship. When you practice silence and solitude, you find that you don't need to say many things you think you need to say. Jim, Jim Elliot said this, I think the devil has made it his business to monopolize on three elements, noise, hurry, and crowds. Satan is quite aware of the power of silence. Uh, not so long ago, I used Facebook uh, a lot. Today I was at ORU and Andre can testify some girl comes up to me. She's like, you know what? You're the only Russian that I, that I follow on Facebook. I don't even know this girl. <laughs> you know, she has a Russian background. And, and so, yeah, I, I use Facebook a lot. Got over 5,000 people that, you know, that, that I'm connected with there. 
But even not so long ago, I just I said, All right, I'm taking a two-week break away from that. Because, you know, very often if I hear a good thought, if I hear something good, I'm always tempted to just like post it to Facebook as if it's for them. Instead of first letting it go through me. Having some times of silence. And I'm telling you, that was so transformational for me. To have those times of silence. To have times of solitude. And so we all need to have times when we just, just get away and, and, just, and just listen to the Lord. There's many more spiritual disciplines like fasting. Okay? Maybe it is fasting from food or fasting from Facebook or fasting from some TV show. Whatever it is. Um, many more spiritual disciplines that, that we can discuss, but I just, uh, you know, our time is out and just wanted to mention those. And if you just start with prayer and Bible intake, oh, it'll lead to every other spiritual discipline really well. Russell, yes. I, can I share a phrase and a yes, brother. blessing all at once? Um, first, I, I mean, I, I just want to say that I'm, uh, I'm going to end with this. I'm just going to go back to that blind man and Zacchaeus. Remember that blind man screaming, Jesus, have mercy on me? I want us to just, just realize that when we're getting ourselves into scriptures, when we're getting ourselves into prayer, into service, into these other spiritual disciplines, it's the same thing as us screaming like that blind man, Jesus, have mercy on me. Now, God changes us. He works in us. But by doing these things, that's us screaming, Jesus, I want to be more like you. Christ, I want to be more like you. I'm going to read your word. I'm going to pray because I want to be more like you to my family, to my children, to my community. I want to be more like you. So tonight I just want us to spend some time in prayer and, and, and ask yourself, you know, what are the spiritual disciplines that you want to begin to develop tomorrow? You know, what is something you're going to do different tomorrow? as a way to scream out to Jesus, Jesus, I want to be more like you. Let's bow our heads. <coughs> Jesus, there is nothing more valuable or desirable in our hearts, deep inside our hearts, than to be more like you. More like you in our character and how we treat our spouse, and how we talk to our children, and, and how we are at our work or our community. Jesus, we want to be more like you. And Jesus, today we repent. Very often we, we don't have spiritual disciplines or we don't practice spiritual disciplines and yet complain that you're not changing us or you're not working in us enough. And we're forcing you to use people and circumstances to change our hearts. Jesus, help us on a daily basis to devote time to reading your word. Help us, Father, on a daily basis to spend time in personal prayer, family prayer. No matter how hard it's going to be to just bring the family together in the evening, but Jesus, I, I pray, give us that strength. And that boldness to, to take that step where we do pray as a family. We do have times of prayer. 
Help us, Lord, to find areas where we can serve not to be seen, and not even for the purpose of making a big difference and changing the world, but working on our pride and our selfishness. Help us, Father, to see areas of need, especially those areas that our flesh screams against. And very often the areas we notice the need in, that's you speaking that that's something we need to do about. And so instead of complaining about it, Lord, help us to serve in those areas. Holy Spirit, help us as we look at our time schedule and our finances to reflect so that Christ's character may be reflected in that as well. Holy Spirit, work in us. Work in us. Change us. And help us, Father, to develop some spiritual disciplines for the purpose of godliness, for the purpose of Christ being displayed more and more in us. That we lose our, uh, who we are and become more like Christ to our neighbors, to our family members, to the people around us. In Jesus' name, amen.